Hey everybody, this is episode 27 of Artist Soapbox. Hello and welcome to Artist Soapbox, a podcast featuring triangle area artists talking about their work, their plans, their manifestos. I am Tamara Kassane. Today I'm talking with artist, puppet designer, and director Robin Frohart, one of the Mellon Distill Fellows at UNC. Robin was also recently named as a Guggenheim Fellow. Do you ever take stock of all the plastic you use? Do you think about all the plastic that surrounds you every day? Artist Robin Frohart does a lot. Robin has spent her Andrew W. Mellon Distill Fellowship at UNC making art out of and about plastic and working with faculty, staff, and students on plastic-related projects across disciplines. Come see and even participate in making her remarkable art as well as other activities and presentations on issues of sustainability and consumption at Plasticon. Plasticon is free and open to the public and is taking place this Saturday, April 21st from 2 to 5 p.m. at Current Art Space and Studio, 123 West Franklin Street in Chapel Hill. I'll include additional info in the show notes. The Mellon Distill Fellowship brings artists to UNC to work with faculty in departments outside the artist's own area of expertise. The faculty members bring their research, teaching, and specialized knowledge to enrich the artist's work, while the artist brings her creative processes and insights to enrich their scholarship. Artists also publicly share their works in progress with the UNC and local communities. Robin Frohart came to this fellowship with a major project already on the horizon, a large-scale installation called the Plastic Bag Store. The Plastic Bag Store emerges from Robin's fascination with our thoughtless, almost comical overuse of plastic and its long-ranging effects on our environment. Robin will construct a fake grocery store whose food products are made solely of plastic bags. The store will also feature an interactive puppet play about future archaeologists who unearth and try to interpret the plastic detritus that will remain on the planet long after we are gone. You can experience elements of the plastic bag store at Plasticon with the larger installation opening at Current Art Space and Studio in the fall of 2018. Hi, Robin. Hi. Thank you for being here today. Of course. So I wanted to start with your interest in plastics. When did this interest begin? Well, I had a real interest and obsession with cardboard for a very long time. Um, I worked with a group in California called the Cardboard Institute of Technology. We were a, an artist collective that built installations using only cardboard. Um, and I, so I really enjoyed I really enjoy the limitations of one material. For some reason, I feel like there's more possibilities with limitations sometimes. It can be very inspiring. So it was great to work with cardboard because I could push the material as far as I possibly could and find new ways that it could work and new things that it could do. And it's also readily available and free (laughs) and on the street everywhere. And so, you know, I've always been... I've always been sort of disgusted by how much plastic packaging um, that we're creating and, you know, having that experience in the grocery store where you're watching someone bag and double bag and triple bag all of the stuff that's already in bags. And I thought if there was a way that I could 
take this other material um, and push it as far as I did the cardboard, um, that there might be some potential there. One of the things that I'm really interested in about your work is that you work in so many different ways. So you are a visual artist, but you use lots of different types of materials. You work in the theater, you're a director, you're a puppet designer, you've done work for stage, you've done work for film. So I think for many of us who are focused on doing just one thing, I think, okay, I'm going to write a play. Now what am I going to write about? Did you start with the the content idea? So did you start with plastic and think like, how am I going to make this into art? Or did you start with, I want to make an installation. What am I going to make that installation about? Um, well, I guess this particular project and, and piece of work uh, that I've been working on presently it came from, yeah, that experience of watching someone in the grocery store um, using so much plastic and, and being aware of how much plastic I was using. And so the idea was like, well, what if there was a grocery store that only sold plastic bags or was just it was just packaging because it started to feel like a regular grocery store is almost just packaging. Um, and so I thought, oh, I could make this installation where everything in the store was made out of plastic bags, all of the food, all of the bread, all of the, all of the sandwiches, the deli case, all of the products that line the shelves was just bags inside of bags, inside of boxes, bags inside of jars, bags inside of other bags. Um, and so the idea came from that. Um, and then it was, then it became the challenge of, well, how are all the ways that I can use plastic bags to create all these different kinds of food? So you're talking about the plastic bag store. And in addition to the things that we see on the shelves, is there a performative aspect to it as well? Yes. Uh, originally, the idea was just going to be that it was just the installation, just the grocery store. But I have um, been you know, for several years working as a director and creating plays and telling stories. Um, and so as I was researching um, plastic and plastic waste and, and developing all of the products for the plastic bag store, I came across a lot of interesting facts about plastic. Um, and it became apparent to me how, you know, how long plastic lasts on the planet, um, how it doesn't decompose, and that things we use for seconds um, last for hundreds, if not thousands of years. And I thought that was an interesting, an interesting thought and that, that we're, these things might outlast us. Um, and this is what we're leaving behind and that possibly, you know, future archaeologists might uncover all of this and might misinterpret its significance in our lives because we created so much of it that they might think, how could this not have been a very valuable and an important substance, you know? Um, but in a way, most of it is just something that we use for seconds or something that we don't even see or notice. And yet that's what we're leaving behind. I feel like plastic is one of those things, as you just mentioned, you don't notice it until you notice it, and then you can't stop noticing it. So even just preparing for this interview, I've now become obsessed with identifying everything that I see that's made of plastic. And it's like, I can't unsee that. Yeah. So I have a really, <laughs> I feel really divided because on the one hand, it's like, thank you for calling my attention to this <laughs> thing that I've been willfully ignoring. But yeah. on the other hand, it's like, oh my gosh, now I can't. I can't let this go. What do I do? And so how has your relationship to this wonder material, this plastic changed over time from the seed of what you're talking about in the grocery store to this moment? Because this has been several years yeah. in the making, right? Yeah. Do you think about it in different ways now? I fluctuate in and out of it. Um, sometimes, I mean, I'm definitely obsessed. I see plastic everywhere. I'm always, I, everything, Everything in the plastic bag store is made from um, something 
you know, I'm not buying any new plastic bags. Obviously, I'm like collecting used plastic bags. So I'm like constantly hunting and gathering, you know, and there's like super rare colors, you know, that like if I see like an orange plastic bag on the street, no matter what I'm doing, I'll be like, I'll be right back. I have to go catch that orange plastic bag. Um, so I really have an eye, you know, I'll see someone walking down the street and I'll be like, wow, that's an interesting color bag. I've never... I've seen that before. That Robin, she has an eye for plastic. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so I, that is part of my relationship to it is that I'm like hunting it, it as a material. And then, you know, sometimes I get overwhelmed because I start to feel like responsible for all of the plastic that I see. And because if I use plastic in my life, which I do, I'm not, I don't live entirely plastic free. Um, but if I see, you know, if I use plastic, I say, oh, okay, well, I'll put it, I'll find a use for it in the store. But then I start to feel responsible for all of the plastic in the world and everything mm-hmm. I touch. And sometimes that can feel really overwhelming. And sometimes that, that leads me to kind of when I feel overwhelmed like that and I feel like that's an impossible feeling, sometimes I get very like nihilistic and kind of frustrated and I get, I'm like, well, you know, screw it. Yeah, it makes me nihilistic and sometimes being like, well, I can't make a difference or this is just too much. And so sometimes thinking about all of the plastic in the world can be a little bit unhelpful, you know. And I think sometimes trying to live plastic free becomes so overwhelming and impossible um, that you kind of like give up in a way. That's why I just try to like avoid some of the major easy ones. Like don't, I don't buy bottled water. I don't use straws. Um, if there's a, an alternative to plastic, um, I will take it. I don't, you know, take plastic bags at the grocery store. Try to use the obvious ones and avoid it where I can. But somehow living plastic free seems impossible. It's like going on an impossible diet and then you get completely frustrated. So you eat an entire cake. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's better to yet to stick with the diet that you can like live with on a daily basis. So you don't get overwhelmed and just say, you know, screw it. It's an interesting position to take as an artist, I think, where you, you're taking something that does have a social and environmental impact and you're drawing attention to it. But then there's this, am I responsible for solving this problem for the whole world, for everyone? Um, do I have to be a, a, the poster child for this experience? And I think that's a, I wonder if that's why artists don't automatically choose those things yeah. because it is really overwhelming when you're you know you're repurposing this so you're turning it into art and you're turning it into conversation but at the end of the day you are one of many people who would need to work on this on this yeah, problem. Yeah, and I definitely don't have any intention to preach to people and I don't think in the you know in the store and in the story um that's a part of the store there is never I'm never like beating people over the head or trying to make people feel guilty because I just don't think that works. And I don't like heavy handed environmental or uh, social or political art. Like I think there's a way that you can just present information or present a new perspective on something and people can take away what they want. Like, you know, this, the story that I'm telling is about people in the future excavating our plastic, but it's more of like an interesting what I'm trying to do is just tell a good story. And that's just the context. Because to me, it just seemed like an interesting subject matter or an interesting idea that people will actually unearth this stuff in the future and like possibly misinterpret it. And to me, that's like great fodder for a good story. And there's some great comedy that could come out of it. And so it's, you know, 
it's more about that instead of being like, oh, they unearthed so much plastic and isn't it terrible and look right. at all of the Dead Sea Turtles, you know, I'm more <laughs> interested in telling an interesting story that people will want to sit and engage with. And I think just exposing people to that or just like giving people the perspective that this is going to last forever. Yeah, that that's kind of enough that you don't need to beat people over the head or make them feel bad. Because if you feel bad about something, you don't want to think about it or you don't want to like do anything about it. That's right. I totally agree. Let's talk about the Melon Distill Fellowship experience. You've worked closely with faculty members from several departments at UNC over the last two years. Could you share some examples of the projects you've you've worked on? Yeah, through the Distill Fellowship, I've gotten uh, the opportunity to collaborate with um, people from different departments that don't normally engage or don't usually engage with the with the arts. Um, so I've gotten to work with archeo- real archaeologists um, to sort of dissect this idea of plastic as an artifact. And that's been a really fascinating collaboration. They're really interested in, in plastic uh, as artifact for a, a number of reasons. Uh, one of them being that plastic is... Uh, well, they do a lot of these mandated archaeological digs and anything, the rule of thumb is anything over 50 years old has to be treated like an artifact and categorized and classified as such. And that 50 years is now starting to include disposable plastics. That's about when it came into our lives. So they are now finding all this stuff and they're having to sort through it as archaeologists as artifact already. And they don't really have a way, they don't have a standard practice for identifying and classifying any of it. So it's new territory for them as well. And so part of this conversation that you've had with these archaeologists is to develop plasticarchaeology.com. Is that what it, is that the site? Yeah, we developed a website, plasticarchaeology.com and an Instagram feed, which is uh, plastic underscore archaeology. And What we've been doing with the Instagram, the idea is to sort of start categorizing and classifying all of the plastic detritus that surrounds us uh, in an effort to help theoretical future archaeologists identify all of this stuff. And obviously, uh, we don't think they're going to have Instagram, but um, it's kind of an interesting way to take stock of everything that's around us. And then in in the process of just taking a picture of something and describing what its function is, there's a lot of humor there, and it just kind of highlights the absurdity of all of this disposable plastic that we're using. Do you have a favorite Instagram plastic photo? <laughs> well, some of the descriptions are really good of different ones. There's one, you know, like that's like the little white plastic table type thing that comes in the middle of your pizza to hold all the slices together, which just saying that is ridiculous. Um, <laughs> there's like all of the little little clips and doodads. Um, it's not in the Instagram feed, but one of my favorite plastic pieces of trash is the little green stick that plugs the hole in the plastic lid of the Starbucks cup that I guess is to keep coffee from spilling out or for to hold heat in for possibly three seconds. I'm not really sure. Who came up with this? This I is my know. question. Like, <laughs> but yes. Yeah, that one is particularly ridiculous and useless. And I always bring it up because it's my favorite slash least favorite. If you found that in the future, you would have no idea what it was. So it could be 
a holy talisman. You know, there's like a beautiful figure carved into the top and it's this green color. And then, you know, you just would have no way of knowing that it had this completely ridiculous and totally silly function. I love this idea of questioning the legacy that we're leaving behind in plastic and that one day scientists might be cataloging it as you're, as you're discussing and, and what does that say about yeah. our culture in the way that artifacts that we're digging up that are 500 years old, right. um, what do they say about that culture? It's a really interesting question. Yeah, I'm really also interested in the idea that like, I think, I think I've always, and a lot of us probably do, like, I romanticize the past, you know, if I'm like wandering around the Met Museum and like looking at all of these amazing old pots and these statues and I'm like, now these people were amazing people. These were amazing people, you know, and that, um, not us. We're just obsessed, you know, we're just caught up in all of our own petty desires or whatever. But I mean, those people were human too, you know, Um, and that possibly people in the future might look back at us and be like, now those people, they were great people, you know, we're just caught up in our own petty desires. It's (laughs) It's kind of like this weird nostalgia thing that happens that makes you romanticize the past or disparage your own time, you know, for no particular reason, you know. So I'm interested in the story is a lot about people in the future sort of, yeah, infusing these insignificant things with, with a whole lot of meaning to highlight their meaninglessness, but also to kind of give us a little bit more credit because we are actually, you know, we are actually, you know, as wonderful as the people that came before us. Wonderful and terrible, Yes, <laughs> I'm sure. Yes. I've heard this fellowship described as bi-directionally enriching. How do you think your perspective as an artist and your expertise has enriched the work of faculty members? Well, I think maybe because I don't come from an academic background, I'm a, and I'm an artist, like I'm very, I'm very free to do things quickly or do things without entirely researching them. Or, um, I'm just sort of like a little bit more, I have a lot more freedom and liberty to to try things and make things that that aren't really like held to the same rigorous standards that academic work is, you know. And so I think when you know when I was talking to Eric Dietz, one of the architects, uh, architects, sorry, archaeologists that I've collaborated with, you know, the plastic archaeology kind of came from him because you know we were asking, we we're talking about different ways that we could collaborate, and if there was ever anything that he wanted to do, and and he had said, you know. I always, you know, wanted to make this database of plastic stuff to start making this database for people to refer to or whatever, which was a very daunting and massive project. Um, you know, and I think he was thinking about it, you know, from a scientific or from a, you know, an ar- archaeological perspective of how official it would need to be or the, f- the format that it would need to be and ha- what would actually go into doing something like that was so massive. But for me, just as an artist, being like, I don't know, let's just start an Instagram feed and just, you know, like we could just open an account right now and just start taking pictures. And although it's obviously not held up going to be like the same, you know, academic standard that, you know, something so official might be, it was, a, it was like very freeing to be like, we could just start now. It doesn't have to be totally official. It could be this thing, you know. And so I think that that might be a new perspective to bring to different kinds of faculty. Mm-hmm. And have you found that your 
Your work has been enriched by the academic research or insider resources of the faculty members here? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think, um, and I've had a lot of amazing conversations with different faculty, and it's been awesome to get um, more information and different perspectives, for sure. As artists generating art, we have to move forward constantly, and sometimes very rapidly, which, I'll, I'll speak for myself, doesn't always lead to depth as far as the research that I have time to do or I'm even interested in doing. And so coming into a place where that is their work yeah, and, and they, they build careers on the, the foundation of research, it, it must have led to really interesting conversations about and insights into what you're already doing. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I, you know, sometimes feel bogged down, you know, a part of the story is I'm also writing about the ancient past as well as the present day and the future. And, you know, at first I felt very overwhelmed and felt like I needed to become a scholar on ancient Greece or something before I wrote a play, a silly play about it. Um, but yeah, but I'm very relieved that I don't actually have to do that and that I, I can actually, I'm writing stories. I can make whatever, up whatever I want and that. It's not going to be held up to peer review. <laughs> right, right. The beautiful freedom of yeah. that, right? Yeah. So we've talked about the plastic bag store and plastic archaeology. I think you have done some other some other work here. I have on my list here, plastic time machine, trash talk, and then Plasticon, which is coming up. Yeah. Did you, which, which thing would you like to talk about? Uh, I can talk about all of them. All right. <laughs> um, so the plastic time machine was something that actually came out of a conversation with Courtney Woods from the public health department. And I don't remember exactly, you know, we, we had several meetings and conversations where we were talking about all things plastic. Um, and somehow in the conversation, the, you know, we're talking about the idea of like, how long plastic lasts that you're sending something into the future. And through one of those conversations came this idea of a plastic time machine. And so I I built it, and it looks like an old vending machine. And uh, you basically put in your plastic bottle or your piece of plastic trash, you deposit it into the machine, and then you type in a date in the future, and then it will show you what your plastic will look like on that date. So you put your bottle in, you type in like 2064, and then you open up the bottom and it just gives you your plastic back to you. It's just a tube that goes straight down, you know, and it just says, yeah, it's going to look just like this. Plastic doesn't decompose. And that just came out of a conversation that we were having. So, you know, that's something that, you know, I don't, who knows if I would have gotten to that idea without that conversation. And then another thing that came out of a conversation of ours actually with Courtney Woods was public health department wanted to do a survey of the public health students to, to um, try to figure out what kind of plastic use was happening and what kinds of knowledge about plastic issues people in the school had. Um, and, of course, they were thinking about it as a scientific survey, and I interpreted it in this in a totally different way. And so she had discussed doing some interviews, video inter- videoing interviews with students, and I took that idea and totally changed it. <laughs> into uh, a fake news show called Trash Talk that's like uh, kind of based on like a current affair, which was this terrible 90s, like trashy <laughs> news program. And um, and so we made, I ended up bringing some collaborators here and we made this whole fake news segment where we do some hard-hitting journalism and some in-depth interviews and we, we interview students on campus so yeah, that's what I've been editing, and that will premiere at Plasticon. 
And Plasticon is on the 21st, and it's a fair and performance and panel discussion and art display and video screen, movie screening. It's kind of like this whole afternoon of activity. So I'm going to have a big plastic archaeology display of this giant inflatable trash monster, the dumpster monster that will be there. Plastic time machine will be there. Um, and then there'll be tables from representing all kinds of different groups around campus that work with environmental issues. And then we're going to have a film screening and a panel discussion. Um, and so it's kind of like the culmination of all of the work and all of the people that I've worked with while I've been here. Who came up with this Plasticon idea? Uh, I think Alex and I came up with it together, kind of. Yeah, it was just like, oh, I think my vision of it was very small in the beginning. I was just kind of thinking that the other day. I was like picturing how we were just going to have a banner outside of Gerard Hall. Um, and it just kind of grew because I guess because there was, uh, I had a lot of conversations with a lot of people over my time here and so many different projects that were born here. It just kind of like it needed to be a f- whole big fair kind of to encompass all of it. What are you most excited about at, at Plasticon? Well, I'm excited to see everything in one place because I think it's going to look awesome. I'm excited for a kind of different kind of environmental symposium kind of event that can be a little bit more fun. I'm nervous to show my trash talk video (laughs) because it's very challenging to edit movies for me. Uh, And I'm excited for this this plastic archaeology display because it's really interactive. So what we've done is like made it so that all of the, we have all kinds of different random little pieces of plastic in this display case and all of the identifier cards can be flipped over. So it's interactive. So people can like read the identifier and then flip it over and it has a possible misinterpretation that someone could make. And then there'll also be blank cards for people to write their own misinterpretations or identifications. So I'm, I'm excited to see how people interact with that piece. It does sound like a really different type of experience. As, as you mentioned, it's not, yeah. you know, you sit in a chair and people talk at you for the afternoon. It's, there's yeah. so many different elements to it and this interactive piece I think is huge and also the humor as you mentioned before that kind of permeates the work that you do yeah I wanted to circle back to a question that I had about about the distill fellowship experience it's an extended time frame so you have two years that you've been working as a fellow is that right it's been three semesters three semesters okay so that is a good chunk of time and I'm curious about your experience creating over that amount of time. Has it changed the way that you approach the work? Um, well, time seems to be like whizzing past in my life right now. <laughs> so mm-hmm. that seems like a kind of a short amount of time for me right now. But it has been nice to like come here, you know, have meetings with people, have these conversations, have an idea come out of it, go back to New York work on that and then bring the idea like completed here. So that has been, you know, the process with the trash talk video, you know, the idea was born and I went home and wrote the script and put the costumes together and then brought the people back here and shot it and then went home and edited it. And now I'm bringing it back to show. So it's kind of nice to have that, like something uh, be born, go back, have a chance to work on it and then bring it back and, and show what I've done. 
So you've been going back and forth between North Carolina and New York yeah. over the last three semesters. Yes. And you, I imagine that you've also been working on other projects in your life as well because you can't just focus on one thing at a time. How have you been balancing all of these different aspects, projects? I don't know. <laughs> just barely is the answer. <laughs> uh, just trying to take it one day at a time. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's been a really busy time. I mean, I'm, my, I have, you know, said no to a lot of different things to just focus on, on this stuff right now. So yeah, but I'm, you know, make doing this stuff for distilled, but simultaneously the show, I'm creating the plastic bag store, which is going to premiere here in September. So yeah, it's a balancing act. Based on your experience, what would your dream collaborative fellowship experience working with people who are not artists, mm. um, who don't consider themselves artists? Let me say it that way. And it, it this is if money and time weren't an issue and you could mm-hmm. kind of choose to land in any location, whether it's medicine or business or academia, do you have a something that you could get really excited about? It's hard to imagine anything better than what's happening right now because I've had this opportunity here, I mean, to be writing a show about archaeology and have access to real archaeologists is amazing. It's changed my perspective on that stuff a lot. And then on top of that, I've also had a residency last year at Olsen Kundig, which is an architecture firm in Seattle. Um, and so part of the plastic bag store's performance happens. Um, I use a lot of puppetry, and so I've designing these grocery shelves that are actually these dynamic set pieces that like expand and contract and move and transform. And that was my vision, but I didn't know how to do that. So it was awesome to be able to work with these architects and help design that. So this process of creating this store has kind of been ideal. Yeah. In that regard. What's next for you? After the plastic bag store premieres in September, I am going to take a week off. (laughs) A whole week. A whole week. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, um, I'm going to, I'm working on um, how it can premiere in New York City. um, And that will be my next goal. So that's the next challenge. Retail space, you know, it's important that the store is in a storefront. And retail space is a hot commodity in New York City. But I have some exciting leads and opportunities. So um, my hope is that the plastic bag store in New York is big and awesome. And so I'll be putting all my energy into making that happen. Thank you so much for having this conversation. Oh, I just want a Guggenheim for this project. Oh, I just? (laughs) (laughs) So that's part of what's going to happen next is I'll be working on it through that Guggenheim fellowship. Congratulations. But now we need to to say something else about that. Okay. So you just won a a Guggenheim fellowship. I did. Yes. Tell us about that. Um, I was very surprised and very excited and hopefully, well, it will definitely help me continue to work on this project and will help me with, uh, for the New York premiere. Yeah. And help me have time to develop that and maybe expand the project, um, to places where, you know, it wasn't going to be able to go before. Why do you think this project has captured so many people's imagination? Because it feels like it's, it's catching fire. And whenever 
I even bring it up in conversation with people. It, it just opens up all of these different, you know, ideas and imagining, and then they want to talk about this and that. And what is what is it? Do you think that's that's so invigorating about this? Well, I think it's a, it's a universal. It touches everybody's lives right now. Plastic does, whether they're aware of it or not. So it doesn't really matter what your races or your gender or your politics or any of the other things that are like really hot button issues right now like it doesn't matter like every single one every single person is responsible for the plastic situation it touch it touches everybody's lives whether they're aware of it or not and i think because it's so you know so it's prevalent everywhere and ubiquitous that just if you know just mentioning it and opening your eyes to it then all of a sudden yeah, everyone can see it so i think that there's that that bit and i think there's something that happens with people it happens when i make the cardboard stuff too like if i make if i made a chair out of wood someone would be like oh that's a chair but if you make like a tiny chair out of cardboard, you're like, oh, it's like a cardboard chair. Like, I don't know what that is or why that effect. I mean, it happens to me. It's why I am who I am. Um, I, I, if I could find a way to name that effect or whatever, but like there's something about seeing something, a recognizable, familiar kind of boring thing turn into something else that like really affects people. So seeing plastic bags the recognizability of plastic bags being turned into something else has kind of like a little magical effect on people. Yeah. It's plastic that unites us. Yeah. And then the magic of art that, yeah. that motivates us. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. Sure. For this conversation, I will put lots of information in the show notes and reminders for people about Plasticon and links to all of your stuff. Great. Special thanks to Current Art Space and Studio, where today's episode was recorded. Artist Soapbox is a listener-supported podcast. Please kick a few dollars our way via our Patreon page at patreon.com slash artistsoapbox. For more information, you can see our website, artistsoapbox.org. Thanks so much, and we're out. <laughs>